Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. In architecture, there is a term called liminal space, which refers to an in-between or a transitional space, a space like an entryway or a hallway. Now, this word liminal comes from the Latin word for threshold, and it has applications that go way beyond architecture. It represents the process, or it speaks to the process of crossing over from one thing to the next, from one paradigm to another, where one thing has ended, but the next thing, the new thing, hasn't quite started yet. We, as a global community, have been in a liminal time, a liminal space for a while now with this COVID pandemic. When we use words like unprecedented and new normal, we're looking for language to describe our liminal moment. We've been in a liminal space as a church, transitioning over the last couple of years from one era to another, and then even more immediately in in what we're doing right now, right? In digital church, in gathering in the park. And we are also, we are also in a liminal moment here in the book of Acts. As we continue this conversation that we are calling Ecclesia, we're in a hinge moment in the story. Quick reminder, going all the way back to Acts chapter 1, the the story begins with Jesus giving his disciples, now called apostles, right? Disciples mean followers of Jesus. Apostles mean sent ones. He gives them a mission. And and this mission is to be a witness, right? To witness to his kingdom, the reality of the kingdom of God in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So from chapter 2, through the beginning of chapter 6, the action takes place in Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Then in the middle of chapter 6 to where we are today, we step into this transitionary moment where the focus of the story is in that Judea and Samaria. It hasn't gone to the ends of the earth yet, but we're moving farther and farther away from Jerusalem into this liminal space where the Holy Spirit is preparing to move the mission to the Gentiles. This is a big, big deal, a big, big moment in the story. So meet me in Acts chapter 10. And as you're looking that up, just a reminder of our sort of big idea for this whole conversation. We're spending this time in the stories of Acts in order for our imaginations to be formed for what the church, the ecclesia, remember that ecclesia is the Greek word for church. We want our imaginations to be formed for what the church was and is and could be now in our day and age, in our time and place here in Davis, California. We don't come to these stories looking for a blueprint or a silver bullet. We're not here to figure out uh, how to create the perfect church or the formula for church growth. We are here to submit our imaginations to the work of the Spirit so that we become better missionaries, witnesses to the good news of Jesus in this place for 
this time. Now again, today we are in Acts chapter 10, this big hinge moment in the story. It's a long scene and I'm going to summarize our way through it. So my encouragement to you is to have your Bible open, to be looking at Acts chapter 10 and as we walk through this you can follow along with me. going to summarize the story and then I think there's two, probably more, but uh, for us today, two specific questions this text asks of us. So, in the beginning of the story, verse 1, this, it opens, the scene opens in a city called Caesarea. This city was important. It was very influential. It was named after Caesar, right, the leader of the Roman Empire. Caesarea was rebuilt by Herod the Great to be the center of Roman administration in Judea. So this is the heart of the empire in this Jewish region. It represents everything that the Jews were opposed to. And it's in this city, in Caesarea, that we meet a man named Cornelius. Now Luke, the, the writer of this story, gives us some interesting information about this man named Cornelius. He's a centurion, which means that he's a leader in the army. And as a leader in the army, he's probably well compensated. The text also says that he was a highly respected man. But Cornelius also is a Gentile. So he's a Gentile living in this significant Gentile city, leading the Gentile army, again, representing everything that the Jewish people would have seen as opposed to them. But uh, we also learned this really, really interesting bit of information. He's also God-fearing, generous, and a man who prays. Now, verse 4, Cornelius, we're told, has a vision. And in this vision, an angel says to him, Hey, God has noticed your prayers. God has noticed your prayers. He's noticed your generosity. He's counted them as a memorial offering. And this is not a throwaway term. This is an important term, a Jewish term, meaning God has recognized, Cornelius, that you have this sacrificial, worshipful posture. The angel goes on to say, God wants you to send some men to Joppa to find a man named Simon Peter and then bring Peter back here to Caesarea. Now, a very critical observation at this point in the story. The angel does not say why Cornelius should do this. The angel doesn't explain what is going on and all, and yet Cornelius does it and he does it right away. He immediately sends three guys in search of Peter. Cornelius obeys before he understands. Do you see that? Cornelius obeys before he understands. So three guys are on their way to find Peter. Now in verse 9, Luke shifts the action, right? The camera cuts and a new scene begins. It's the next day. We're in a town called Joppa, a Jewish community, and we're back with Peter. Peter, who we haven't seen for several chapters in the story of Acts. Peter goes up on the roof of the house that he is staying in to pray. It's the middle of the day. Lunch is being prepared. He's getting hungry and he falls into a trance. This happens to me every day when I forget to eat lunch. <laughs> It's now Peter's turn to have a vision. He sees heaven open up. By the way, this is the eighth time 
already, eighth time in ten chapters, that this phrase, the heavens opened up, has occurred in Acts. He sees heaven open up and something like a sheet comes down, and this sheet is full of animals and reptiles and birds. And then a voice says, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, this is a very strange vision. Now, some people interpret those words, Peter, kill and eat, as coming directly from Jesus. There's a lot going on here. Let me unpack it a little bit for us. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the early part of the story, there's these uh, dietary laws that God gives to the people of Israel. The Jewish dietary laws can be found in Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy 14. And as the story moves forward, much of Jewish identity was, <clears throat> and, and still is in many, in many places today, tied to these laws to the foods that are acceptable and unacceptable to eat. And so here is Peter, a good Jewish man who's been following these dietary laws his whole life, now being asked to eat stuff he shouldn't eat. Peter, it's okay, kill and eat. But Peter says, uh, no, I can't do that. I, I, I have never eaten anything unclean. Now, verse 15, we get an interesting twist on this. The voice spoke to him a second time. And it says this, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I want you to remember verse 15 as we move forward in the story. Now this repeats three times. Sheet comes down, kill and eat. Peter says, no, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Three times. This is also a pattern in Peter's story. Things seem to happen to Peter three times. If you're familiar with this story, you, you, you see that pattern in a couple of different places. After the third time, Peter comes out of the trance and he's sitting there on the roof wondering what in the world was that all about? All right, we might call this Peter's holy sheet moment. <laughs> Now, I'm being a, a bit cheeky there, but on a very serious note, this is a big deal for Peter. This is a big deal for Peter. This is pushing him way beyond what he's comfortable with, what he's familiar with. It's pushing him even to the point of asking the question, how could this be God? Is God asking me to sin? And we can debate whether or not God is asking Peter to, to sin, but that is how it would have felt. It, it, emotionally reacting to this vision, Peter would have felt, man, the boundary, this is too far. All my life, I've avoided these foods. I've followed these rules. Now I'm supposed to break them. Now I can eat this stuff. What is going on? As he's pondering this, the three men that Cornelius sent show up, and as they arrive, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, Whatever these guys do, you need to go with them. You need to go with these guys. So Peter says, hey, I'm the one that you guys are looking for. What is going on here? We're in verse 22 now. The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. An angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests, and then the next day they begin the journey back to Caesarea. Now, Peter is the one, right, who is obeying, even though he doesn't totally understand what 
is going on. So they arrive at Cornelius' home and Peter asks, all right, what am I doing here? And Cornelius shares with Peter his vision and he asks Peter to explain what is going on? What is God up to? And it's at this moment, we're in verse 34, that Peter has his big aha moment. I now realize, he says, how true it is. I now understand how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news, right? The good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who, Peter says, is Lord of all. Not just the Jewish people, Lord of all. Peter realizes that over time, <clears throat> what had happened is that because Gentiles didn't follow the same rules, didn't follow and observe the same dietary laws, that the Jews had begun to apply those rules not just to food, but to people. Right? So there were clean and unclean foods, but then also clean and unclean people. The aha moment is not about food, it's about the people. And so Peter then goes on to tell them the, the, the Jesus story in brief, how Jesus was killed and rose from the dead and how whoever believes in Jesus' name is forgiven of their sins. And then I love this part. This is now towards the very end of the story where while Peter was still speaking these words, right? The Holy Spirit does not need the pastor to uh, nice and, and neatly wrap up the sermon and, and give a prayer. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Right? It's almost like the Holy Spirit can't wait to get on with it. Peter, stop talking. The Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message, and the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And then the scene ends with them all getting baptized. So, incredible, incredible story. Right? The Spirit brings these very unlikely people together and in the process we see the gospel make the jump right out of this liminal space from Jew to Gentile from Judea and Samaria now we are prepared to go to the ends of the earth this massive hinge point moment in the story of Acts this scene this story invites us to ask a couple of really important questions two questions that flow from two big truths. First truth is this. In this story, and we've hinted at this a few times already, obedience precedes understanding. Okay, obedience precedes understanding, and it's taking that step of obedience that then brings clarity and understanding. Both Cornelius and Peter are asked to do something strange and unusual, something that even feels like, uh, I'm not sure that this is God. How could God ask me to do this? And so they move into that liminal space. They move into the uncomfortable. They take the risk of obeying the voice of God. They step out in obedience, and this obedience leads to a big aha moment. Now, some of us have baggage with the word obedience. We've been in churches, we've been in communities that have used that word to manipulate us. So let me be very clear here. 
Churches that use obedience to manipulate and coerce and shame are spiritually abusive. Churches that use obedience to manipulate and coerce and shame are spiritually abusive. Coercion is not the way of Jesus. Invitation is the way of Jesus. Now that being said, obedience is a good word that I think needs to be redeemed. And one of the ways we redeem the word is to actually try it out and see what happens. When I had a, a crush on Amy, still have actually a really big crush on Amy, but before we were dating and married, I was, I was like, man, this girl's amazing, but I, she's doing this thing with her life and I'm doing this thing with my life, and, and so I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out. And because we were in um, two different locations and, and I didn't understand how long distance could work for us at that stage of life, I, I did not immediately act on uh, my interest in her. But a couple of people gently encouraged me to go for it. And so eventually I did. I obeyed, if you will, even though I did not understand how it was going to work. And that is one of the best steps of obedience I have ever taken. Sometimes we need to obey first and figure out why later. So the big question for us here is this. Is there a step of obedience that you need to take? Is there something that God has been asking you to do? You've had this sense, God, I need to do this thing, but you haven't done it yet because you've been waiting on him to explain the why before you go for it. Faith is obeying even when you're not sure exactly how it's going to work out, even when you're not totally sure what is going on. So we take the step and we find out what it unlocks for us. Clarity and understanding follow obedience. So what step do you need to take? Do you need to start tithing or serving? Do you need to reconcile with someone or forgive someone? Do you need to invite someone into something? Whatever it might be, take that step and see what happens. See what that reveals, what that unlocks, what that clarifies. Now the second truth is this. God's mission is about people. And I know that sounds very simple, but we get this so confused so often. We have a strong tendency to put our preferences and our pet projects ahead of people. Peter's aha moment is not, oh, wow, now I can eat pigs. It's that, wow, Gentile inclusion in the kingdom of God is a real Thing. The goal of the vision that God gives Peter is not to live a life full of bacon, although what a great life that would be. The point of the vision is not about the food. It's about people. Here's the thing. Peter is free to continue his, his kosher lifestyle if that's what he wants to do, but he cannot use his kosher lifestyle as an excuse to keep him from participating in the mission. The salvation of the Gentiles is way more important to what God is doing in the world than Peter's purity. The mission of God is about people, not our preferences and our pet projects. So the question that flows from this truth 
is this. If we were to go out on our metaphorical or our real roof and have this holy sheet moment, what would be in the sheet? What, what preference or, or, or pet project would God put in that sheet to say, hey, people are more important than even this? For Acts 1.8 to come true in the story of Acts, a lot of Jewish followers of Jesus are going to have to let go of some things that they think are really, really important. And for us today here in our context, especially those of us who have some church background, there is some stuff that we're going to have to let go of. Some things that might even be really good things that were really helpful for us that may not be helpful in reaching people who are far from God. There might be ways that we prefer to do church or groups or serving or worship or dare I even say studying the Bible that are good things. And again, that were helpful for you, that were helpful for me that you might need to let go of to engage in the mission. Or maybe you don't have to let go of them. They just are not the most important thing. Again, we do this all the time in church today. We let our preferences get in the way of the mission. And we say things like, oh, our communities are open to everyone only if you dress like us, talk like us, sign off on this you know, particular statement, stop hanging out with those people, vote this way. We add so many layers. Now, of course, there are things that we will need to let go of, areas of our life God will have to transform to fully enjoy the abundant life that he has for us. But we choose preferences over people. We choose our little projects over people. Jesus says to Peter, no more. My mission is about people. The story of the ecclesia invites us to die to our preferences for the sake of the gospel. It shapes our imagination so that we begin to see People are more important than our preferences. So our two big questions today are what's in that sheet and what step of obedience do you need to take? Let's pray. Father, we begin our response this morning by confessing some of the ways in which we put our preferences, maybe their aesthetic preferences, maybe their, um, uh, again, just sort of ways that we've interacted with the church or with community that we found to be really helpful. They can be really good things. But God, sometimes we allow our preferences, our projects to uh, get in the way of people. So, Father, we begin by confessing that and then we commit as a community to put people ahead of those things. Again, some of those things are good and we will do those things, but we put people ahead of that. And just like Peter, we realize that there's some stuff that we might need to let go of in order to engage in the mission, in order to love the people that you have called us to love. In a very similar vein, God, we also confess that there are things that we have a sense of, that we know we're supposed to be obeying, that we haven't, because we want to know what you're up to and what you're doing and how it's going to work out. 
And so, Father, give us the courage through your Spirit to take steps of obedience, even when we don't know what the outcome will be. And as we take those steps, as we follow Jesus in obedience, would you reveal more and more about who you are, about what you're up to, about the work that you're doing in our lives and in the lives of people around us. God, give us the eyes to see that and to name the places where you are at work pursuing and loving people. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Communion is a sacrament. Sacrament means sign. It is a sign of the good news of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. In, in the very simple elements of bread and wine or cookies and coffee, whatever you have with you this morning, in those very simple elements, we remember Jesus' body and His blood broken and poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation, restoration of right relationship with God and with each other, invitation into this abundant kingdom life that starts right now and extends on into eternity. As we prepare for communion today, I want to reiterate those two questions. What step of obedience do you need to take? And in what ways do we put our preferences and projects ahead of the people that God has called us to love. I want to read a little bit from Acts 10, the words that Peter uses to share this good news uh, with Cornelius. And as we read this, again, just think about those questions, reflect on them, and then um, prepare your heart for receiving the communion elements today. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, right? How uh, good of news is that? that we don't have to be of a particular status or people group or whatever to be a part of what God is doing. There is no favoritism in the kingdom of God. God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God has raised him from the dead and on the third day, caused him to be seen. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. When you are ready, let's take communion together. Well, as we end our gathering today, again, I just want to say, may we be a church that puts people over our preferences, that obeys what God is asking us to do, even if we don't know what the outcome is, that steps into these liminal spaces, trusting that God is at work, in this place. I also want to encourage you to be praying again for discovery for our city as we get ready for the fall quarter with a lot of new people coming to Davis. It's going to be a really exciting and fun time uh, for our city and also for our church. Let's go out then with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Grace and peace, friends.